Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms. Apply. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that is the sound of my favorite leaked only fans anyway are you gonna watch uh, are you gonna go watch uh the marvel's film uh donald Faison? well you know we did hang out with brie larson at that taylor swift that has concert. nothing to do with whether you're gonna go see the movie or not it looks dope i'm not gonna lie joelle uh, are you gonna go see marvel's the Mar- I- what's it called miss marvel the marbles. the marbles. The marbles. The marbles. I'm going to be honest to... with you. I wasn't a huge fan of Captain Marvel. Okay. The first one. There comes your honesty. Joelle, what were your thoughts on Captain Marvel? Liked it, but not a perfect movie at all. It did make a billion dollars at the box office, though, so I think it's weird when people are like, <laughs> but this that, is what killed the, the, Mar- like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like It made a billion dollars. Like, yeah, but chill. that was back when Marvel was making a billion dollars every movie, though. You got to remember. That is also true. That is That's also back fair. when every Still movie, no matter dollars. what happened, they were dropping a billion. I saw an item, Joelle and Daniel and Donald, that said, mm. and this could be total bullshit. I need you guys to tell me. <laughs> it said that the new Marvel Universe is thinking about bringing back their big stars. I heard of the rumor. Including all, the, all those people they killed off. They're thinking about bringing them all back. <laughs> I think it would be the yeah. worst thing they could possibly do. Well, you know what? That's what comic <laughs> books do, though. That's how comic books are. You know, they mm-hmm. kill off characters and then they bring them back. And, you know... It 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 doesn't surprise me that that's what. Imagine I mean, they're the talking about rebooting Star Jr. Wars, bro. It's gonna be through like, the roof. They're talking imagine, about. Imagine Robert Downey Jr.'s check to just show up. So much. I want that. He doesn't need money. I want that. I want that. How about he that? He doesn't need money. How, He's gonna be like, I'm out of ideas. He's like, I'm out of ideas. How about a how about a like an island? No, that's he's probably owned one. He probably owns one already. <laughs> he probably got two. Right. He's like, I'm out of ideas. How about like, Mars? There is, there is now. How about a planet? Pluto? It's not even a planet anymore. Just give me Pluto. Just give me Pluto. 
He's like, I'm, I, 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 I'm out of ideas, you guys. You've given me so much money. How about Pluto? Right. <laughs> <laughs> do you think they I'll do a cameo? Do you think they would collect residuals on that shit? On Hell Pluto? No. On, on oh, Pluto? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in New York City, everybody. But it, the weather's gotten cold, so there's no ice cream truck. Yeah, no. get the hell out of here. Oh, nice. That fucker takes the, takes the winter off. He probably does something else. <laughs> probably selling hot dogs. As long as he doesn't play a song when he does it, I'm fine. <laughs> Donald, um, I know how much you love ganja, and I have to say, you can walk around Lower Manhattan. And it just smells and like weed. You might get you might get two breaths without <laughs> the smell of weed, but you're not going to get a third. <laughs> The wheat carts are wild out there. Yo, it's I grew up everywhere. in that, I grew up in that everywhere. city. Everywhere. I grew up in that city and we smoked weed back in the day like a mofo show. Yeah, but you at least were a little bit covert. Everyone yeah, because just... you go to jail for a really long time for for weed. Now that it's decriminalized in New York City, I mean It's not decriminalized, it's legal. Recreational legal. Mm-hmm. I, I I there's a weed shop every third store is a weed shop. It's like I know it's probably an overcorrection, but it is really and I don't mean to sound like a grumpy old man, but it is really unbelievable how many people are so high on a given moment on the island of Manhattan. Well, if you if, if people <laughs> walk the streets of L.A., it would be the same thing. I promise you. Yeah, because there's no pedestrians there, right? I promise you. They wrote a song you. about that. Nobody walks in L.A. And they also wrote a song about how it doesn't rain in Southern California, but I hear El Nino's coming. El Nino's coming to L.A.? Yeah, man. You might, want I to saw that the, you might want to keep your ass in New York City, bro. That shit is on its way all winter long, El Nino. You look very cute in your little hoodie. Motherfucker, you look like you've been working out. Your shoulders are all broad. Out. You want to see? Yeah, I got show me that. Show me that shit. Show me that. Go on, motherfucker. Go on. Ooh, Ooh, damn. Okay. Right? This motherfucker pushing 50 right? with a six pack. I'm having a glow up. Glow up. That's what happens when you single. Um. I'm just getting in shape. I mean, and we're on strike. There's nothing I can do. I feel like my job is exercising. You know, I've been animating a lot, uh, a lot, a lot. I'm taking classes with Justin uh, Rosh. Um, he's the dude that did the stop motion for, you know, that scene in Pinocchio with the monkey doing the swing, the thing that was all over the place when that movie yeah. was coming out. Yeah. He's teaching me right now, along with my buddy Jacob. Yo, I'm learning some shit, man. I'm also learning, like, even in stop motion animation, no is so far. I mean, you think as an actor, you hear no a lot. Stop motion animation, if you don't get the shot right, no. But you just put in five hours of work. I had to equate that to, well, you know, I put about three hours of work in when I have auditions to go on an audition to hear no. So it's kind of the same thing. But this shit is fun, man. I'm doing, I'm living the dream right now. You love it. And you can't, I have a question for, I've never asked you. You can't go back, right? If you fucked up one like sequence of four frames and then you did the whole sequence, can you go back and be like, you can put the puppet puppet in that exact position and try and fix it or it doesn't look good? You can. And, And if you're really skilled at mapping out what your puppet's doing, it's really easy to do. But for the most part, you set a plan and you, build a roadmap, but then halfway through you're improvising. You know what I mean? Stop motion is mostly improvising with uh, some sort of, with some sort of guideline. So 
you develop a plan and you and you and you try to attack the plan head on but sincerely halfway through you're like i'm winging it right now right is that how all the pros do it it's kind of like it's improvisational i mean they know that the puppet has to climb up to the tree and the monkey has to swing and grab a flower right but there, that, there's no rules to that he's just kind of free well there are right? a lot of rules to it depending no, on i the mean style to exec i'm saying to execute it but i'm saying like it's up to the individual artist to interpret how he's going to do that, right? Right. But then the director could be like, wow, that's really cool. That's not what I want. Can you do it this way? Right. That's not the style of the thing. Right. It's a very, it's a very, 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 very long process. But I mean, for, I mean, for, if you love it, you love it, man. Like my ankles were swollen and shit from standing on the same, <laughs> standing on you the same. You should get one of those mats that they have for people. For the kitchen stand, and shit. Yeah. I yeah. Know, with those kitchen mats when yeah. someone has to do dishes all the time. I know. I know. I freaking. All right. We in. have a very, we have a very, I can't believe that we have this guest. We did a big dude. We've got, we must have gotten big because the Surgeon General of the United States of America. We did America it all the way the up show. to the U.S. government, yo. Bam. In your face. This guy's friends with Obama. All I'm trying to say is, is that he's talked to a lot of presidents. Um, before, do you remember I'm the sure. surgeon? Well, I want to talk to him about this, but do you remember the surgeon? The only, what's the only thing you can remember about surgeon generals? Sierra Coop. That's the only one I remember. No, it was, it was C. Ever Coop, right? Yeah, is that what C. you said? Ever. It's not Sierra. I thought it was Sierra. C. C. Ever Coop. By the way, yeah. we're, all, we're the same age, and that's what all I could remember, too. And yeah. he was the guy who put this i think this the cigarette yeah thing the thing on, on, on the on the cigarettes, cigarettes yeah. right yeah. surgeon general says yeah this shit will make you this shit will, will make you, you give you cancer yeah right mm -hmm. see ever coop i couldn't yeah. believe i pulled that out of my butt i know what he looks like too i don't know what he looks like i just remember the name was like sierra coop and i was like that's a pretty sick name but it's c everett <laughs> coop you thought his name was sierra yeah sierra coop well ladies and gentlemen our podcast has gotten fancy enough fake doctors, real friends, that we have the Surgeon General of the United States of America on. Joelle, is he in the waiting room it? right now? He is. Ha! We got that motherfucker on hold, yo! Yeah, make him wait. Make that <laughs> wait. Five, six, seven, eight. Some stories about a show we made About a bunch of docs and nurses And a janitor who loved to hate I said he's a story Oh my goodness! Oh, wow! Hey, Zach, you oh my hey, goodness! Look at you! You got like the whole background. You're standing in front of it. It looks like you you're in the briefing room. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I do a lot of my podcasts from. It's uh, it's good. Well, you're really welcome. in your house. You're really in your house, and you just got a blue screen thing up, though. Keep it one hundred. Well, I'm really in, in a movie theater, and the show's about to start. But I figure oh. I'll do the, the <laughs> keep it that down. And jump you're right in. Have to keep it down. Um, well, welcome to our show. We're so honored you're here. Um, make sure I'm pronouncing your name right. It's Vivek Murthy. Vivek, yeah, thank you. That's perfect. And you are the Surgeon General of the United States of America. Thunderous applause, yeah, Daniel. Thunderous yeah, we're, applause. We're going to add, we're gonna add some thunderous applause. Right now, Daniel. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. You're probably the fanciest guest we've ever had. We did on it the big, show. and we've had yeah. we've had Brendan Fraser on. We had Brendan Fraser okay. on, but I think you're cooler. I'm sorry, Brendan. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. You're cooler. Yeah. Oh um, man. Well, you know, he's a pretty big deal. So 
I don't really think about myself as fancy, and my kids remind me of that often. So you know, no, you're uh, fancy, dude. You're, fancy. you're very you're fancy. fancy. You're very very fancy. <laughs> we're one degree. We're one degree separation away from the president. That's all we keep thinking. Um, Donald and I were just ruminating. We were growing up. Um, there was C. Everett Coop, and he Donald just admitted that he thought his name was Sierra Coop. I thought it was Sierra, but I couldn't believe that I pulled I pulled that name out of my head. C. Everett Coop, and I googled him because I was uh, interested in. I learned this. Donald didn't tell you that he, I believe he was the first surgeon to separate conjoined twins. Did you know that, Vivek? You did not know that about him. Actually, that's really interesting. Where were they conjoined at? Were they conjoined at the hip? Because there's a I difference. I don't know, but at the shoulder. Because once the heart and head and brain are involved, Joel can look it up for us. I'm sure it was it was the first time it was done. I believe, Joel, please check that out for me. Vivek, have you done something like that? What's your plan? I, I have not. I have not separated anyone, okay. uh, <laughs> or later in life, or at any point. So, what do you do? Uh, what, what, were you a surgeon uh, before you got this position? So I wasn't. I was an internal medicine doctor. Where that meant that I took care of adult patients, and I specialized in hospital-based medicine. So I took care of patients once they were admitted to the hospital. So that meant you're usually sicker. There's usually more, more complicated sort of situation going on. But but that's where that's where I practiced for many years before joining the government. And we, was were you Surgeon General with Obama as well? I was. So I was uh, I served as Surgeon General during the, his second term, the President Obama's second term. Uh, and then President Biden asked me to, to come back uh, to serve in the role uh, when he took office, which was in the throes of COVID. And there's a lot happening when it came to public health in the country. So that's why I came back. So you didn't wow. serve with Trump at all? No, well, so, well, technically speaking, I did serve for the first three, three and a half months of the Trump administration because uh, the Surgeon General's term actually doesn't go follow the political calendar. So it doesn't tie in within a, a president's sort of time, time in office. It's independent of that. So my term actually extended past when President Obama uh, you know, left office. And that's why you know I served for a few months into the Trump administration. I wasn't there for the, the vast majority of, of his tenure as president. And during COVID, when COVID hit, I was a private citizen on the outside, which I'll tell you was, um, was tough in some ways because, you know, having sometimes when you're in a role, uh, and then you step out of it and then a problem comes up that you could have addressed when you're in your role. You're like, oh, gosh, I wish I could have like been back, you know, in, in that role. Maybe I could have helped a bit. So I find myself thinking about that in the first year. But, um, you know, but thanks to President Biden, I had an opportunity to come back and hopefully do some good. That's really That's interesting because in the movies, like it, they make it seem like once you're in office, yeah. you kind of got a way back in, not like back into office, but you could call the attorney general like, hey, bro, look, so listen. I'm at home. <laughs> I'm freaking out. But well, I'm sure I got ideas. People. Let me I'm come sure in. Can, Why don't I'm we sure get could... C. Everett on the phone? We all come in <laughs> and we talk this out. I don't think C. Everett's with us anymore. I'm not sure. But um, Joel, he's not. Can find no, any... C. C. Yeah. Everett Coop passed away. I don't know about the whereabouts of Sierra Coop, though. So we... yeah, <laughs> Sierra, Coop, Sierra, is, Sierra Coop is thriving. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wait, will you just tell our audience because I'm sure people are wondering about what it is that you do. Oh, wait, Joelle is telling me I want to answer the trivia here. The first recorded successful separation of conjoined twins was carried out, oh, by Swiss surgeon. So, Joelle, I don't have that right? So, 
He was the first one to do Siamese twins joined at the heart specifically. Oh, well, that's very impressive. That's a big well, deal. Trying to, why are you trying to minimize what I said? No, I'm trying to make sure I got the right information. <laughs> okay. One is 1686. First okay. conjoined twins. He did one's joined. First conjoins by the heart. Um, Vivek, will you tell our listeners who, who might only know of the term Surgeon General from the cigarette pack warning what it is <laughs> that, that you do? Because I've Googled it a bit, but, but explain it to people. Absolutely. And, and that is actually how a lot of people first hear about the role is they hear about warning labels uh, that are on cigarette boxes or on alcohol uh, sort of uh, bottles or or cans. But the, the role really has two primary responsibilities. The one is to, the first is to uh, the content, connect with the public and communicate with the public about critical public health issues uh, that could be like HIV and tobacco when C. Ever Coop was Surgeon General. Uh, it could be about other issues like COVID-19 and mental health, uh, mental health being the one that I've focused on a lot during my time. The second role, though, of the Surgeon General is much uh, less known, and that is actually to oversee one of the eight uniformed services in the U.S. government. So many you may be familiar with the Army, the Navy, the Air Force. Um, those are some of our uniformed services. But one of them is also the United States Public Health Service Commission Corps. These are 6,000 uniformed officers who are nurses, doctors, physical therapists, pharmacists, uh, and public health experts, public health engineers. And they they actually serve in public health roles all across the country. And we deploy them during times of emergency, when there's an earthquake or a tornado uh, during COVID-19 after 9-11. These are all times we deployed many of our officers to help provide direct care and shore up the public health system. So the Surgeon General has the privilege of overseeing that uniformed service. So that's actually the reason why I wear this uniform. It's not because of my role as a public health communicator. It's because uh, I oversee the U.S. Public Health Service. You are literally a Surgeon General. <laughs> well, it's very interesting. So th this is a funny thing about that term. It's Surgeon General. I'm actually not a surgeon. I'm an internal medicine doc. And I'm actually not a general. I'm an admiral because that's the way that our, our ranks work in the public health service. I'm so confused right now. It's I'm very confusing. So, confused. So. so you should be called an internal admiral. Right? <laughs> like, what the heck? Let's call well, Biden. Let's call Biden. I want to straighten this up. out. I I don't, I don't, I know he's got a couple things on his plate right now, but if you could just text him, I want to change the name of you to internal admiral. Well, that's why I said at the beginning, just call me Vivek. It's a lot easier. Yeah, I was about to see the outfit. The uniform is very nice looking. You look very sharp. And I've noticed this before Thanks. I've even ever met you today. I always thought that you looked very sharp in that in that coat. Oh, that's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that, Zach. Yeah. Sorry, Donald didn't dress up. He's in his, uh, his hoodie. <laughs> Um, well, I, did, I didn't get the memo. Right I didn't get the memo that Vivek was going to come in on the show with a freaking blazer. <laughs> but on, you've bro. seen images with, of Vivek before. With, He's with, always dressed really nicely in that with, uniform. <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue he was coming on with the uniform. I had no clue. Wait, I first I have a question about cigarettes. You know, when you yeah. go to other countries, I just made a movie recently in Montreal, and oh my goodness, their cigarette warning packets are so intense. And I wonder why you haven't upped the game because you just yours just say like I don't know what's warning. Say maybe you could get you, you could, could get cancer. This could lead to I'm cancer. Sure you've seen, I'm sure you've seen how other countries Canada, are rolling. That shit's like oh my you god, you're gonna die. You smoke this. No, they have an image of like a crying 
child next to their parents' bed. Like yeah. they tell a whole story <laughs> right. on these cigarette. You packages. smoke this, you could talk like this now. Yes, they don't <laughs> fuck around, Vic. And I'm wondering if there's been any discussion of of bringing our level of warnings on cigarette packages up to the European Canadian level. Like we were oh, at a moment, weren't we? Last thing, weren't we at a moment where cigarettes had dropped off and vaping had happened, and then now vaping is just as dangerous? Like, let's get into the whole thing on smoke. Well, well, well first answer my question, then answer Donald's. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> These are awesome questions, by the way. So, first, is that you're totally right. Many other countries have graphic warning labels, not just text, they've got pictures that yeah. really bring home why cigarettes are bad for you and, frankly, bad for the people around you. We, I would love for us to do that in the United States, but there are some legal challenges with us actually doing that. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing without getting into all the gory details of this is that the, this, the tobacco industry, uh, has a lot of money that they put toward sort of making the case for them continuing to sell their products, uh, and to have, try to minimize the kind of warnings or signals or messages that might dissuade people, uh, from tobacco products. And, you know, they have fought tooth and nail against graphic warning labels. Uh, and in our country so far, uh, that has actually blocked us or prevented us wow. from putting those labels on. I wouldn't have on. guessed that was the reason. That, I mean, that's so fucked up. Sorry. I'm sorry to curse in front of you. No, but it's I, okay. People I, do I just all think the time. so. Other countries have been able to get them by because they're on packets of Marlboro or whatever in Montreal, in Canada, where I was in Montreal. But you're saying in the United States, they've successfully said legally you can't do that? Yeah, so it, it's complicated and tied up in free speech arguments, et cetera, that they are, you know, that have been tried, folks have tried to use those kind of arguments to say you can't put graphic warning labels on these, uh, you know, on these cigarette boxes. Now, from a purely public health perspective, and again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not going to claim to be a lawyer, but from a purely public health perspective, we know that graphic warning labels are more effective with just yeah, they because we shit that, out of you. Yeah, they, they real talk. more clearly, uh, but. But this is where, just more broadly, I worry because, look, we, the t tobacco is not just a problem in the U.S., right? It's, it's a problem all across the world. And imagine if you're a smaller country that doesn't have the kind of resources that the tobacco industry does to hire lots of lawyers and to try to fight, you know, against them, you know, coming into your country and trying to market uh, these products, uh, to, you know, across the population. You're in a much, uh, you're, you're much worse off. And You're vulnerable. So, so this is a, a problem where I think the the industry look. There, there really is no, from a health perspective, there's no redeeming positive quality of tobacco. What it does is it not it contributes to a risk of death, disability, and disease. We've known that for a long time, but every time we put out a new Surgeon General's report on tobacco, we find more and more diseases uh, that are made more likely if you use tobacco. Like in 1964, when the first report came out, it was just about cancer. Right? It was about lung cancer in particular. But now we know it's multiple types of cancers. It's diabetes. It's heart disease. It's a whole host of conditions uh, that are made worse uh, you know, by and you're at more risk, risk of really uh, when you use tobacco products. So I, I worry that to get to Donald's question that <clears throat> you know, sometimes people think as they hear about all the other public health issues out there, they think, oh, cigarettes, wasn't that a problem like back in the day? Didn't we solve that problem? Well, the answer is no. We we made progress. So in 1964, 42% of Americans smoked, right? Right now, thankfully, the rate of cigarette use is under 12%. That's wow. a lot. That's, a lot. that's it's progress. A lot it's, that's a lot of progress. But what has happened is what Donald mentioned, which is that 
the rates of vaping, especially among youth, among young people, yeah. Yeah, have all gone up. On those little things. Exactly. And they think, oh, this is benign. It's not harmful. But what's really concerning to us, and the reason in 2016 I issued an actual Surgeon General's report on youth uh, you know, vaping, was because young people, when they shouldn't be on tobacco for any reason, but when they're introduced to tobacco products through vaping, uh, not only does it addict them uh, to nicotine, but it also increases their risk of using traditional cigarettes and other tobacco products down the line, which we know are really dangerous for your health. Yeah. Mm. How have they been able to um, have all the, I mean, it's so clearly um, the cigarette industry found another way to get these kids hooked. They went, what if we put it flavor. in colorful little canisters and give it a strawberry flavor? Yeah. I mean, it's so sinister. Uh, uh, have you, have you had, I'm sure you've tried, but there's, have you had any luck pushing back? I remember reading something about Juul, the company Juul being yeah. closed down for some, but what, is, what has been your success with controlling vaping with, with kids? Because, I mean, uh, occasionally I'm around a, a, a young person and a teenager and you just see they're all sucking on those Juuls or whatever, the, the, the vape things. Yeah, no, they are. And look, there too, I think we've made some progress. Um, you know, after our report came out, we actually called for aggressive action that the government took uh, for the government to take to actually reduce the availability and use of these products and the marketing of these products to kids. And the FDA uh, ultimately did step in and put in uh, a, a series of steps, regulatory steps, uh, to start clawing back, you know, what has become dangerous levels of use among kids. And for that reason, they've been able to take some some of these dangerous products off the shelves. Uh, they really, what they did is, in some ways, they put the burden on tobacco companies to prove that their products actually have a public health benefit. And if they don't, uh, then they shouldn't stay on the market. They also uh, took on flavors, which is uh, which you raised. It's, it's it's so there's so many flavors that appeal to kids. And one thing we know from the data is that flavors are the number one reason cited uh, by kids as to yeah. why they use uh, use uh, e-cigarettes or vaping devices. Uh, and think about like watermelon flavors, gummy bear flavors. All of these flavors are are really appealing to kids. So the FDA has, has since our report came out taken action uh, against flavors as well. But the bottom line is what you said, Zach, which is <clears throat> that the industry is is proven historically to be very creative at finding ways uh, to continue to build and expand their markets uh, mm -hmm. for their products. And so we've got to make sure that the regulatory like apparatus, that these rules and laws actually keep up with the industry and then hopefully go beyond and think ahead uh, of where they're going. Because the truth is, as long as we're continuing to make uh, tobacco products available, uh, and they are going to continue to cause death, disease, and disability. And it is having taken care of many patients over the years who have suffered as a result of tobacco, uh, you know, driven disease. Uh, it is just heartbreaking to see those avoidable deaths. Yeah. What's your relationship with the FDA? Like, do you have them like on speed dial? Are you like, yo, <laughs> Come on, man. I need you to pass this shit already. Like, <laughs> like, my guy. Is a text chain? Is a text chain. <laughs> is there a text chain with emojis? <laughs> there is not a text chain with emojis. At least if there is, I'm not on that chain. But but you know, I, you know, I talk to folks, you know, across the federal agencies at the FDA and other federal agencies. But it's really important to say that the FDA is an independent agency, just like our office, the Office of the Surgeon General, is independent. So they make their own decisions uh, about, you know, what drugs uh, they approve, what uh, recommendations they make, 
uh, what they do when it comes to regulating tobacco products. Um, we certainly provide our input and advice, and but they ultimately make their own decisions. I wish they made decisions a little bit faster sometimes. That's all. Yeah, I, I agree. I hope that you can, I hope that because of this podcast and how successful it is, um, you're going to be able to get more graphic warnings on cigarettes because, you know, it's interesting. They they become like a conversation topic. Someone drops one of those on a table in a restaurant in Montreal, and then everyone I found starts talking about it. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, oh, my God, look at that picture. That is so nasty. That is so gross. But, but then people are talking about cigarettes and talking about how you shouldn't be smoking, and it, it generates conversation mm-hmm. like, like, of course, it was intended to. So I really feel that that would be – that would be um, powerful in, in this country too. And I think it's a shame that, that you you guys have yet to be able to get that through. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think not only do I think that would be helpful, but look, in terms of the speed of things, uh, you know, there are a lot of really hardworking folks in, in government who are trying to move things fast and they're trying to, you know, they, they, they came to government because they want to help people. But the bottom line is there are a lot of things that make the government's work slow. Even just think about uh, legislation, right? Like we have been, you know, I and many others have been pushing to get legislation passed that would help protect kids against the harms of social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I put out a an advisory, a Surgeon General's advisory in May of this past year, but I've been talking about it long before then. I'll continue to talk about it more afterward about the urgent need for us to have safety standards in place Absolutely. to protect kids from, you know, being from what they're being exposed to right now, which is harmful content, pornography, extreme violence, but also from the bullying and harassment that's taking place, including from strangers and and the addictive features on these on these platforms, it sucks kids in and takes their time away from sleep, from in person interaction, from learning time in class. So we we one need- other thing once they not to cut you yeah. off. Also, once they get off the thing, they are freaking so agitated and so discombobulated. Trust me, as a kid who as a as a dad who has. Uh, as a father of a kid who plays video games on on iPads with his friends mm-hmm. on social media, when he's asked to get off, the energy that has shifted in him is so mm-hmm. ridiculous. He is so angry and so upset. So yeah, dude, I am with you on that. I'm sorry, go on. Yeah, no, and to your point, Donald, what you mentioned, that behavior is very similar to the behavior that we see when you take a substance away from someone that they're addicted to. Yeah, it's very, very similar. And so, and I don't think that that's a coincidence. I, I think these, look, the platforms, their goal is to maximize how much time people spend on the platforms, right? That's what actually drives revenue in the bottom line for them. And look, as a parent, as a doctor, a surgeon general, what I care about is actually time well spent. You know, what they care about is maximizing the amount of time spent but this right. is a place where we, we, we got to protect our kids. And, and this isn't, look, the one thing just to be super clear on, this isn't happening because like the current generation of young people have been somehow born into this world with dramatically less willpower than prior generations. What's changed is that they are now exposed to tools that are preying on the fact that adolescents yeah. are much more sensitive than other people to social comparison and to social suggestion because of their unique phase of brain development. So we've got to step up and protect our kids. I raise that because to your point, Zach, about the speed of government, this is a place where we need government to move a lot faster, I right? Know. Like we have, we've like, we kids can't wait years and years and years 
for effective legislation to pass and to ultimately be implemented. Their childhood is happening right now. That's why I'm going to continue to do everything I can, certainly to push Congress and to tell the public why this is so urgent so they can uh, you know, they can do what they need to do to, um, to make their wishes known to the, to their lawmakers. But, but look, like I, I say this is the dad of two kids. Like I, I worry deeply about the world our kids are, are growing up in and we've got to move faster to make it safer and more supportive for them. I feel like this is an issue, <laughs> the rare issue where you could unite parties on something <laughs> because I really, listen, I took TikTok off my phone. I tried it for like a month and it was so incredibly ad- addicting addictive mm. I, I i found that i i really had trouble getting off of it right when i right when i was like okay mm. enough it sent me something else i was interested in in, in in a way more powerful way personally for me than any of the other social media platforms mm. and so i was like i cannot have this on my phone it's not good for me I, it's such a waste of time and I'm a grown man who can who has the willpower to be like, okay, enough. And I think of this drug being mm-hmm. given to children, and I I'm not a parent myself, but if I was, I would be so uh, concerned for the amount of time they're spending on this app that can be very very unhealthy for them. Telling them they need to look a certain way, telling them they need to act a certain way, uh, making them feel less than about themselves. So I guess my and, and there's a great book we, I recommended before on here that I don't know if you've read um, called uh, the Chaos Machine. Joel, mm-hmm. we should have try and have that author on here because he's he was a really really great book and I recommend it to parents especially. But what do you we you know we have a lot of parents that listen to the show. What can mm-hmm. you give them some advice? What does one do because their kids all want to be on the same things as their friends, right? What a you know what what do you what do you what do you tell a parent about how to control their kid's addiction to these social media apps because it's clearly not good for any of us. I'm gonna keep it 100. It's easier said than done. You you're gonna give your anecdote right now, and that shit is out the window when you hear the kid freaking screaming like a banshee in the freaking in the house, and you're like, fine, just take the shit, just take the fucking game, just take it, take it, take it, take it. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right. I'm sure. I, listen, that's, that. That's a, ladies and gentlemen, that's right from the Faison household. No, I know, but I, I, it may, I, I, it may have, I don't know. I, I don't have any answers, but I'm hoping that you can at least give some recommendations to people. I'm sure I, one of the things is, is, is at what age can you hold it off until, right? Yeah. Well, look, this is the dilemma I think almost every parent is finding themselves in. How to manage technology that we didn't grow up with that we didn't have to manage that's rapidly evolving and that's designed to suck our kids in without any limits, right? Like that is a dilemma. And right now, what I would tell parents out there is just know, number one, you're not struggling alone here. Every other parent is dealing with this. I say that because I run into a lot of parents who think, hey, every other parent has figured this out. I'm the failure because I haven't figured out how to manage this with my kids. So number one, that's not true. Number two, I think the important thing to, to realize is that we can start a lot of this work by initiating a conversation with our kids about how we use technology, how technology makes them feel. There are so many young people I talk to who are on social media who have a lot of insight into how it's making them feel, who often say, you know, I, I feel feeling great about my day and then I go on social and I see all the stuff that other people are doing and I just don't feel so great as a result. Or I see people doing stuff without me and then I start to feel left out. Uh, and all of that is important, but when a child is processing that alone, it can be even more stressful. So starting 
a conversation with your child about how they're using social media, how it's making them feel. Are they having dangerous interactions? Are they being approached by strangers like six out of 10 adolescent girls are right now? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, in ways that are making them feel uncomfortable. These are things that's important to, to start a conversation on. The second, here's another thing I would do. If you're a parent whose child is not yet on social media, I would seek to delay their their use of social media until past middle school, if you can. This is a lot easier said than done because a lot of the people around them, a lot of the kids around them are going to be on social and they're going to say, hey, everybody has phones already. Everyone has phones. Right, so we'll but, talk but about phones in a second. But a parent can can say you can have a phone, but you're not going to have social media, right? So they can. There's an asterisk to that, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, because it's it can be a little tricky to do that, because sometimes kids will download and use apps and create accounts without your knowledge of them, even if you are a thoughtful, conscientious parent who's monitoring their phone. Uh, there are ways to hide apps and to, to essentially keep you in the dark as a parent. Uh, so, But delaying the use <clears throat> until past middle school is ideal. And here's why. Because adolescence is a unique time when our kids' brains and their social lives are developing, when they're more vulnerable, if you will, uh, to the harms that social media may cause. Uh, but the early adolescent period, when they're in middle school, is when they're particularly sensitive. So delaying past that is helpful. Now, doing it on your own is very hard. But if you can partner with a few other parents yeah. who may also have similar concerns about their kids, who may want to keep them safe, that becomes a lot easier. You have more support as a parent, but your kids also know, hey, I'm not the only one. Uh, Donald's kids are also not going to use this in middle school. Zach's kids aren't getting to use this. Like, they'll know, right? Like, that they're at least not alone. Ideally um, with the with the kids' friend group, right? You know, saying, hey, we four parents are going to band together. and Exactly, exactly. So that makes it a, a little more sustainable. Let me say one last word, though, about, uh, well, two last things. One is about what to do if your kid's already on social media, right? Because that can be hard. You know, like taking it uh, away from them, I, I know that that is not an easy proposition. It's but... taking a drug away. Yeah, and it's, it's it can be incredibly painful if it's not done in the right way, right? Just yeah. like cutting somebody off immediately without any support, you know, from a substance they're addicted to could be potentially harmful to them uh, without the right, you know, process. So here, what I would say is a place to start is to create a few tech-free zones in your child's life, and specifically the areas I would protect in their day are their times for sleep, learning, and in-person interaction. Those are the three things our kids need in order to grow, develop, and thrive. And that could mean uh, an hour before your child goes to bed and throughout the night, uh, they don't have access to their devices. Uh, I was just with a parent uh, the other day at an event that I was at who said, you know, we started a practice in middle school of everyone charges their phones in our bedroom. They don't take their phones into their bedrooms. And we're still doing that to this day, even though our kids are in high school and it helps protect their sleep, uh, protecting their in-person time from, from tech. So time around the dinner table, time when they're hanging out with their friends, you know, with friends at home, uh, when there are family gatherings, also important, and time learning. So many kids are actually on their devices in school, in class, while they're doing their homework. And I'll tell you this, you know, like we overestimate how well, good we are at multitasking. We think, oh, we can pay attention to this and that at the same time, be on our phone and listen to a conversation. The science is super clear that we're really bad at multitasking. What we do is we task switch rapidly. So if we're looking at that text that popped up on our phone in class, we're not actually hearing what our teacher is saying. So I would, this is a, thing, a place where parents are speaking up more and more in schools to say, hey, can we make classrooms uh, a tech-free space? You know, the kids can maybe use them in between classes or- I can't believe they're school. not. I mean, I'm sorry for being naive because I don't have any kids, but I, mm -hmm. 
I would I would daydream of a world where the teacher is saying like no phones. You're saying a lot of kids are are, are doing it under their desk or whatever, but I'm, I'm, that must be hard for them to police. Well, so that's one of the reasons I think it's been uh, challenging for schools. A lot of them have policies; they're just not enforced. But the schools that I've ta- ever since our social media uh, advisory came out on kids' mental health uh, in in earlier this year, we've heard from more and more schools that have like used that sort of as a a way to go to their parent communities and say, look. We've got to now create these tech-free zones in our classroom. And one of them I, I ran into actually a school in Indiana uh, when I was visiting. And they told me, they, they said, actually, after we implemented that policy, a couple of things we noticed almost right away. We noticed that we heard kids actually talking to each other more in the hallways during lunchtime. We actually saw them playing games, like whether it was Jenga or card games or other things in between classes uh, when they had some downtime. That wasn't happening before. Everyone was on their devices. They weren't actually interacting with each other. So anyway, these are our places or some small steps we can take. But I'll ask you see to Donald's point about the phones. Here's the tricky thing. The phones, smartphones in particular, can be are easy to load apps onto, and those apps can often be hidden. Um, I have heard so many heartbreaking stories from parents who have lost their children to suicide after their child was mercilessly bullied and harassed on social media. And they were really monitoring those phones, but they only realized after their child passed that they were all of these accounts that they had that they didn't know about and apps that they were hiding uh, that the parent wasn't aware of. So there are more and more parents who are actually doing this. They're saying, yeah, I want my kid to be safe, to be able to make a call if there's an issue, to be able to get help, to be in touch with me. But they're actually trying to get them what you can call dumb phones. So phones that uh, we used to use uh, back in the day when... Yeah, the Motorola in- StarTech, baby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the phones which allow you to make phone calls and text, but which don't allow you to actually download apps. Those might seem the old T-Mobile school, but sometimes... The T-Mobile sidekick. The T-Mobile sidekick, baby. <laughs> Bring it back, y'all. I think that may have had apps. I'm not sure. Well, <laughs> we're going to take a break, but we both have so many more questions for you. We're so glad you're here. Uh, I want to get to one of the, the latest uh, things that you're um, speaking about and spreading the word about. I had the perfect um, which segue I believe... to that, too. What's that? You I do? had the perfect segue. Okay, well, can we need to take a break, and then you can go back to your segue. Everyone All remember right. where we are at, and <laughs> right then on. listen to these ads. When we come back, Donald is going to be in charge of the segue. We'll be right back. Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? (laughs) Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know that feeling when you just have something you need to get off your chest? It's like a rain cloud 
following you around in your life. People all carry around different stressors, big and small. Everyone has stress, but we all handle it differently. When you keep your emotions bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. We talk all the time about how much therapy has benefited us. Therapy isn't just for those who have experienced a major life trauma. Therapy can help everyone with daily challenges with friends, family, and other relationships. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you should start with BetterHelp. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash real friends today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash real friends. All right, Donald, what was your segue? Everyone remembered where we were. So you left office and things were kind of normal. You came back to office and there was a clusterfuck. Let's keep it 100. Like everything had switched. The world had changed. And not only had it changed, people were staying at home because of the change that had come. Caused loneliness. Caused a lot of loneliness. Caused a lot of fear. Hmm. And you're combating that right now. Am I correct? That was very good, Donald. That was a great. I just want to compliment your segue. I mean, we're you know we're we're we're, we we think we're decent podcast hosts, um, Vivek. But I I just want to give my I want to give you your flowers, Donald. That was nicely done. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Did um. I call that an upper level segue. That was very. Yeah, he's good. If I could just piggyback off of it. The loneliness epidemic was happening, question mark, and then COVID magnified it exponentially. Is that true? That's exactly right. Yeah. It was it was a fire that was burning for years, and then COVID just dumped a whole lot of fuel on it and, and made loneliness uh, much worse. But the, yeah, this was a problem before. In fact, I was seeing loneliness in communities when I was traveling around the country and 2015, during my first stint as Surgeon General, it was, and that's actually what made me realize that this was a public health issue. You see, before that, like I never learned about loneliness in medical school. Like we were never taught it was a health issue. Um, but I, I knew what it felt like because as a kid, I struggled a lot with loneliness myself. I was, you know, I was one of those kids who was didn't really want to go to school most days, and I would often fake having a stomach ache so that my mom would, you know, take pity on me and let me stay home. Not because I, she doesn't know that, by the way. And I, I don't know if she listens to this podcast or not, but if she, she does, does, I'm she sure does. she does. I'm she sure does. I'm going to get in deep trouble. Everyone does. Everyone, Everyone does. For fake, you know? and, and also, <laughs> listen, let's be honest, man. You did fake, you did, you got out of school a lot, but look at you now. You're a surgeon yeah. general. So, and listen, uh, you know, I know that Obama listens. So just watch your words. Watch yeah, your just words. Just be careful. Be careful. Be careful. <laughs> don't, don't diss Obama because he yeah, listens. Just be All right. For how we talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the thing is, I, I did all that. Because I was not because I was scared about teachers or tests. I was scared about going to the cafeteria at lunchtime one more Mm -hmm. time and not having someone to sit next to or being on the playground and being scared that I wouldn't get chosen to be on someone's team, even though I was a pretty decent athlete because I just didn't have that many friends. So I I knew that feeling personally, and I actually saw it in a lot of my patients, you know, when I as a doctor, but I didn't realize how widespread it was until I started traveling as Surgeon General and hearing from people 
who would say things like, you know, I, I feel like I just walk through life, you know, carrying all these burdens by myself, or I feel like if I disappear tomorrow, nobody would care, nobody would notice, or I feel invisible. And I was hearing this from college students who were surrounded by hundreds of other students on campus, yeah. like mm -hmm. from moms and dads who were like in busy workplaces. I was hearing this from CEOs and from members of Congress. Everybody seemed to have their own stories and struggles with loneliness. So that's what got me interested in exploring this deeper. And as I did, I realized two big things. One is that loneliness is extremely common. One in two adults have measurable levels of loneliness in the United States, and even the numbers are even higher among kids. But I also came to realize how consequential loneliness is for both our mental health and our physical health. And that really surprised me. Absolutely. I mean, I think about it all the time. Like, you know, some people construe loneliness as, well, I'm by myself all the time, but you could mm -hmm. be lonely and be surrounded by a bunch of people. You could Absolutely. be lonely. You could be lonely and have and and have a wife or a husband and children surrounding you and still feel lonely and still feel alone. It's it's it you say one in two. Wow, I feel like everybody at some point experiences loneliness. I think you're right. And I think I think one in two is actually an underestimate because that's the number of people who are actually willing to admit to it, right, on a survey. But I think there's this sense of shame also that surrounds loneliness where we we think, and this is how I felt when I was a kid and at times when I was an adult and I struggled with loneliness, but I felt like, you know, I'm lonely because I'm not likable. I did something wrong. I'm not like interesting enough. Like you think it's something about you, you know, that is making you, uh, you know, not someone that folks want to hang out with. And it doesn't feel great to admit that. So I think people actually keep that under wraps. Mm. Did the, did, did mm. social media, which we thought would, would make people more connected, did, did it contribute to this isolation? I believe it has. Yeah. I, and I think the intent was to actually build community, but what ended up happening with social media were a couple of interesting and con really concerning things. One is that people started shifting more of what used to be offline in-person friendships to online friendships. They started valuing quantity, number of friends over the quality of friends, regardless of how few they were. Right. I still remember in the early days of social media, people would always talk about, oh, how many friends do you have? Like, I have this many. Oh, now I'm getting to that level. I'm getting to that level. Contacts are not necessarily friends. Like online acquaintances don't necessarily translate to somebody who can be there for you during a crisis. Right. Mm. I think the last thing that happened, which is more insidious, but really important, is that I think for many people, social media ended up shredding their self-esteem, not yeah. all at once, gradually over time. But it doesn't matter like how rich, powerful, accomplished you are, whatever. When you're constantly comparing yourself to what people are posting online, you're going to feel worse about your life. And that's even though we know like that that's not 100% real, that people are curating and selecting what they post, it actually turns, it turns out that that doesn't insulate us from feeling worse about ourselves. And so that that I think has had an impact. Because imagine if you if you feel worse and worse about yourself, less confident in who you are, it makes it harder to actually go and put yourself out there and meet other people and build a relationship, a friendship. And so I think all of this together uh, has actually contributed to greater loneliness in the population. Social media has contributed to so many of the lies that are out there right now. Like now, some of y'all don't look like that. I'm gonna keep it 100. Like some <laughs> of y'all be putting filter after filter <laughs> after filter on your face. And we know, okay, because ain't nobody skin that perfect. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're <laughs> too much. Am I going too far? No, I don't think that's, that's totally I don't think, true. 
Vivek, yeah. do you have a filter on right now? Because you're still right. like about to say, <laughs> You know what happened. You were catfishing. I don't have a, no, man. I, I, wish, I wish I was sophisticated enough to even know how to put a filter on. But I'm just no, saying, I don't you're have so a handsome. Oh, man, thank you. Thank no you. doubt. I, I will I tell my mother you said that. She'll be very proud. Well, no, but he's right. He's, right now. He's, he's, oh, she's he's, listening, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's right in the sense that uh, the filters and everything makes you know adds to a heightened sense of of people feeling like, gosh, I don't look like that. I'm not. That's I'm what not, I was. That's what yeah. I was trying to get at. Like, yeah. sincerely, man. Like, there's nothing yeah. real on social media. Uh, everything that's posted is a heightened reality, and we all know it, but we still try to keep up with it. We try to keep. We all get the. We get the latest filters ourselves, or we get the. You know what I mean? Yeah. And look, there's a, the thing is like, there's a fine line between using some of these features for fun and then slipping into a world where that becomes the norm. And I think that's what's happened like really quickly here uh, with social media. So look, I think part of our challenge in like in this moment in our lives and in society is to figure out how to, how to start living real life as opposed to living our lives mostly online, which is what's happening to most people. Like real life is happening offline. Uh, it's And we need to to get people to a place where they have the space, the opportunities, the comfort, the skills to actually engage with one another. I'll also say this, it's not always about like major massive transformation of your life. Like sometimes like just a little bit of interaction can go a long way uh, to making us feel better. Like stopping to say hello to somebody on the way out, out of work, you know, just to check on them, see how they're doing picking up the phone to to call a friend on your way to work just to say, hey, hey I was thinking about you. Just want to know what you're up to, uh, how you're doing. Uh, or dropping somebody a line just to say, hey, I, I remember that thing you did for me last week and that that it really helped me a lot. You know, I was having a bad day. Thanks for reaching out for me, to me. Thanks for thinking about me. These things can take like a minute, two minutes, but they make us feel so much better, more human, more connected. Because the, the truth is like, you know, we evolved over thousands of years to not just like listen to the content of what each other is saying, but to like to perceive and, and to take in like your facial expression, your body language, the tone of your voice, your physical presence. And when we have all of that, which we have an in-person interaction, it goes so much farther and is so much richer for us than we are when we are solely relying, let's say, on texting somebody or emailing them to communicate. Okay, but here's a question then. How do we get out in the world and do all of these things when we hate mm -hmm. each other right now? You know what I mean? Like that's mm -hmm. where we're at right now as a as a people. Um, yeah, we're we deal with so much hate. Uh, uh, th this planet is filled with hate, and we're asking people to get out and and touch and stuff like that. And a lot of people don't want to be touched by other people. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. where? Uh, how do we can? How do we? How do we fix that? Like how that? There's more to it than just you know. I mean, getting out with loved ones is something different, but I, yeah. I feel like, and, and I and I get where you're coming from with that, but I feel like right now, like, I feel like social media, I feel like all of these things are really, are what's contributing to the amount of hatred that's going on in this world towards, towards one another, you know, and... Uh, I, you know, I, 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 my question is, how do we combat that? If, if, if we're gonna get out and we're gonna start talking to people and we're gonna start doing that, we got to be ready to hear. You know, some people don't want to listen. Yeah, so I think that's the right question, Donald, because I, I do think you're right, and I don't think you're alone in feeling like 
the, the, feeling like there's a lot of hate and division uh, and anger like in the world right now. And that make the more you feel that, the less less you want to reach out to other people uh, or build bridges. Two things I would say here, though. One is I actually think there's actually less hate than we think. And because it is magnified on social media, it's magnified in the traditional media. And it makes us think that that is everyone. That's how everyone feels. Like these, these are all the interactions that are happening everywhere. They're actually not. They're a fraction of the of reality. But yeah. here's the second yeah. thing. I mm-hmm. think we actually hate, it's easier to hate other people when we don't know them, right? And like, if you're, I'll just give you a simple example. If you're at work, let's say, and you want to just get to know a few more people, you don't need to like go to your, your, the, your, you know, person in your neighboring cubicle and say, Hey, can you have lunch with me? So we can talk about the top three most divisive, controversial subjects out there. Right. And like, cause that's not what people like do, right? right. You might like, we connect on this stuff that we share. Like maybe we both have kids and we we're, we're worried about them. Maybe we both lo- love music and we, you know, and we just went to a concert last night. We can talk about that. Maybe, you know, we talk about the work we have. Maybe we talk about the communities and neighborhoods we live in. There's a lot of our life that actually is part of a shared experience that constitutes, uh, you know, subjects of conversation and points of connection, frankly, that can bring us together. And I'll tell you what happens when we do that. When we start learning about people, about their family, about their background, about uh, their kids, about their experience in the neighborhood, about their culture, when we start learning about that, it becomes a lot easier for us to to manage disagreements, right? Like you, you, I don't know if you guys have this, but most people have a relative that they get together with at Thanksgiving, who's their crazy uncle or their crazy aunt, who's got views that are totally different from them, mm-hmm. uh, who they don't can't talk to about politics or whatever it is. But the truth is, if that uncle or aunt were in a car accident and ended up mm-hmm. in the hospital, you would show up. If you were in the hospital and you needed something in an emergency, they would show up. You do that because you have a, a foundation of relationship that allows you to perhaps disagree on things. And you can see, though, that beneath that is a real person, right? We're more than the issues we disagree on. like, And that's what building these sort of connections allows us to feel. And, and that's what I think we have a chance to get back to. That's why I say it's it happens in the small conversations between neighbors, coworkers, uh, between folks, between fellow parents. Um, we have a lot that actually connects us. We're just not hearing or seeing much of that on social media or the news. So starting the community. Yes. Spread out. Yeah. You just made me realize that Thanksgiving this year is going to be a doozy for a lot of people. Like if you looked at a graph, if you looked at a graph at the most difficult Thanksgivings of the last 20 years, I bet this one's going to win. <laughs> hey, you know what? Pretty rough, you know, so. this is probably going to be the most, I mean, we, we're just coming out of COVID too, though. Mm-hmm. So everybody's really probably going to, this is probably be the biggest year of, of uh congregation on thanks is that the right word uh, uh on thanksgiving yeah. Yeah. you know what that's i mean that's a nice like, use of congregation <laughs> it, i, like I went to congregation um temple israel <laughs> let's take a break we'll be right back after these fine words did you know that 46 percent of us don't take all our vacation days even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. 
Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval terms. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk about, on a serious note, on a more serious note, the teen suicide rate. Um, In doing some research on you coming on, I read some articles that really blew my mind. I knew that this had increased, but uh, here's something from U.S. News and World Report, which I would think would would be accurate. Researchers found that between 2008 and 2018, the suicide rate among 13 and 14-year-olds nationwide more than doubled from roughly two deaths per 100,000 in 2008 to five uh, per 100,000, a stark reversal from a decline that began in the 90s. Um, And now suicide is now the leading cause of death for 13, 14-year-olds in the United States. That's accurate, right? Yeah, and so so disturbing. I mean, like, how did we get here, right? Like, Right, and and before you answer, my my gut is to say, what is the big change? The big change is social media, but... But is it more than that? Like, why is this fucking happening? And, and what do parents do? This yeah. scares the shit out of me. I'm sorry, Doc, but this does. Yeah. This is one thing that sincerely. I'm sure it scares everyone out there listening. And 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 it's not something that's talked about a lot. I, I knew that the suicide rate had increased, but I didn't know it was as stark as that stat. So I, I wondered, in your position, what do you think the cause of it is and what can be done about it? Well, listen, I don't think there's anything more important is a public health issue than we should be focusing on in youth mental health. I've, I've called this a defining public health crisis of our time, and I firmly believe that. Um, and it's why I've spent the better part of my tenure focused on this issue. I think to understand it, where it's coming from, I think we got to understand that, yeah, some of it has to do with the profound impact that social media has had on kids' mental health. I think we've also seen a growing amount of loneliness among kids uh, that is is in part only partially related to social media. I think there are other contributors to that loneliness as well. But we know 
that the amount of time that kids spend in person uh, with their friends has actually dropped by 50% in the around 15 years or so prior to the, to the pandemic. And it dropped even further during the pandemic. So there are more and more forces that are taking us away from each other. Um, and look, I think that there's another element to this that we don't talk about enough, which is I think more and more of our kids are becoming the victims of a achievement culture that I don't think serves them, right? It's not a culture that says achievement is good or bad. It's not about that. It's about how we define what achievement is and what success is. And I think that we're telling our kids more and more that if they aren't perfect, uh, that they, they don't have a future, they've got to get into fancy schools, have a long resume, have uh, you know top grades, et cetera, in order to, uh, to make it through and be worthy. And again, there's nothing wrong with having good grades, with striving you know, to get into great schools, with, uh, you know, with achievement. There's nothing wrong with it in and of itself. Here's the problem. The problem comes where we define our kids' worth, their self-esteem, by whether or not they've met uh, these increasingly stringent standards of success. You know, when I talk to kids around the country, I do a lot of roundtables uh, with high school students, with college students, uh, and with even younger students. They tell me that they feel like they're being asked to chase a, a model of success that says, to make it, you've got to be famous, you got to be wealthy, or you've got to be powerful. And ideally, all three, right? If you get all three, we'll write books about you. We'll make movies about you. We'll write stories about you in the media. But, you know, I'll tell you this. I know a lot of people who are rich, powerful, and famous and who are really unhappy and not fulfilled. And I know a lot of people who are not rich, who are not powerful, who are not famous, but they're really, really happy because they have relationships in their life. They have a sense of purpose in the role they play in their neighborhood or in their work. Um, that's ultimately what matters. And I think that the focus has shifted so much away from that, uh, that that what has become a more toxic achievement culture combined with loneliness and the negative impacts of social media, I think are combining uh, to hurt our kids. There's one last factor we have to keep in mind, which is hard to ignore, and this is affecting adults too, but it's the negative information environment that we're all surrounded in. Like we yeah. are drowning in negative news. doom scrolling. I mean, I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that term doom scrolling is so relevant because you know, more, more than ever now, you, you pick up your phone and you're just getting hit with a fire hose of horribleness. That's right. And, and it's not, I'm not saying that we should be blind to the challenges happening around us in the world, but I do think that there's a problem when it is so out of proportion the news that we're getting, that it, we're constantly hearing everything that's broken about the world. We're hearing very little about what is right about the world because that's not deemed newsworthy and it doesn't drive clicks. And so you, if you, you see that all the time, then you come to believe that that's real, right? That everything is truly broken, that there is no hope in the future. Um, it is very difficult to be happy and fulfilled and content if the future is not bright. If you don't think that there's hope uh, that things are going to continue to be good, that they can get better, that they're going to be great for your kids. Uh, and so you put all of this stuff together, the negative information environment with social media, with loneliness, with uh, this toxic achievement culture, and you have a recipe for the youth mental health crisis that we're seeing today. What do you recommend parents who are listening to this say to their children? Because I bet a lot of these um, parents who've tragically lost their children to suicide would have thought that it came out of the blue for them. Some, some of course, uh, recognize that their children were, were suffering and depressed, but I'm sure many had no idea. Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you recommend a parent listening to this do with their 
with their teenager or or their adolescent child, the conversation they should have to 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 reach out to them. Yeah. So th- this is uh, this I think is one of the scariest things for parents, and uh, this is why I resonated with what you were saying, Donald, uh, as well about it being scary because just to think that your kid might be suffering in silence and you don't know about it, uh, and to worry that it may lead uh, to a terrible outcome like them harming themselves. I mean, that is every parent's worst nightmare, mm-hmm. right? And so, and I feel that too, you know, my kids are five and seven, but you know, I'll tell you guys like my daughter who's five, uh, when she was in preschool just a few months ago, last spring, she came home one day and asked my wife and I, if we could post a picture that we had taken of her on a social media platform. And she actually named the platform and we're like, whoa, 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 you're in preschool. Where did this come from? We, it's not a platform that we even use like ourselves and we don't talk about it at home. But her friends in preschool were talking about posting stuff on social media. So this is this is a, a nightmare to manage for parents. Here's what I would I would say to them though. One thing that remains true is that as parents, our love for our children is the most powerful protective force that we have to give them. It's important our kids know that we love them, that we love them unconditionally. We may tell them, they may say nothing, they may like wave us off, they may say, ah, you know, you don't need to say that. You're being sappy doesn't matter. You say it to your kids, express it to your kids in the moments of darkness and crisis, when they're wondering who in the world actually values them and cares about them. uh, You want them to remember that their parents do. So that's one thing we can remind our kids of. The second thing we can do as parents is to start conversations with our children about their mental health. Sometimes parents worry, hey, if I bring it up, maybe it'll plant the idea in their head. If I use the word depression, maybe it'll lead them to become depressed. If I talk about suicide, maybe it'll put that idea in there. The the studies actually very clearly show that that is not the case. Uh, More so what happens is when you raise these issues and just to ask your child, has they ever struggled with these? Do they know what these are? Do they know what to do if they do start to feel like they're depressed or anxious? That actually opens things up for your child to recognize that, hey, I don't have to be embarrassed about this. I can talk to my parents about this. Other people deal with this. I don't have to be ashamed. So that's Mm -hmm. a really important conversation to start as a parent. And the last thing I would suggest to parents, and there's a lot more we could talk about, but the last thing I'd suggest is that, you know, while we, while I would certainly underscore some of the points we talked about earlier in terms of creating tech-free zones in your child's life, uh, creating boundaries around social media, delaying the use as long as possible, I also think it's important to fill our child's lives with positive sources uh, of influence and positive experiences, right? We want them to experience fulfilling relationships. One of the ways they do that is by actually seeing us enjoy our friendships as parents. Our kids so often pay attention not to what we say, but to what we do, right? And when they see their parents investing in relationships, uh, having family over, taking time to be with friends, reaching out to friends who might be struggling because that's what we should do, show up for one another, that sends an important message to the child. Creating opportunities for kids to also spend time in person um, with other kids is also vital. With my own kids, I'll tell you right now, we are putting as much effort as we can into setting up playdates for them with other kids so that they can have unstructured playtime. So many kids, there's, their lives are so overscheduled, right? There's like no time to even get together because they're at soccer practices, music rehearsals, concerts, games, this, that, everything. And there's nothing wrong with some of those activities, but we need those opportunities for our kids to enjoy unstructured play uh, with other kids where they can be creative, they can interact with each other without, again, uh, technology with just being themselves. So these are a few things that I would advise to parents, but just remember as parents, look, you're not the only one struggling. You're not the only one worried about these issues, 
on the mental health of your kids, the more as parents, we can start talking with each other about the common struggle that we all have in protecting our kids, the more we'll have support as well in our parenting journey. Just to finish on that point, you'd recommend um, a, a parent talking to their kid and saying, you know, hey, you know, I want you to know that you can always come to me kind of thing, right? If, if you're feeling bullied or you're or, or alone, so I, you know, creating a channel for them to be yes. able to, a safe space for them to be able to come to I, you, right? Yeah, because... I try to tell my kids every day, yo, mm -hmm. you can tell me anything and everything, and it's all good, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it also goes with, you know, it also goes with other adults too, you know what I mean? If your teacher says something to you, I'm on your side, so tell me first. If you're in trouble, I'm on your side, so tell yeah. me, and then we can combat this together. You know what I mean? Like, it's yes. all, this is something that we're always trying to tell our children, but secretly we still fear that same shit, you know what I mean? The same thing. But all you can do is do your best, and and uh, and I just I don't want to speak to this. I want the doctor to speak to it. But uh, some sort initiating some sort of regular conversation, right? Where where they feel that they're loved, and there's and there's always a clear communication and love from you to say if something's coming up, if you're depressed, you know people get depressed. Come talk to me. If you're being bullied, I've been bullied. Come talk to me. Like with just a really safe zone for them to come to you, right? Yeah, no, that you're both articulating it perfectly. That's exactly right. They need to know that they can come to us as parents and that they're not gonna get in trouble by being honest about something that they're dealing with or crisis that they're in. Um, I'll just share one last tip for parents, which is that I think also, this is something my parents did for me when I was growing up, that I fully didn't appreciate the value of until years later. <clears throat> we know that serving and helping other people is a powerful antidote to loneliness. We know it's actually really good for our mental health and well-being. And one of the things that my parents used to do for me when I was a kid is one, whenever we had a family friend who was in crisis, my parents would always step up to help, right? And it didn't mean like, you know, it had to be in big ways. It could sometimes just be a phone call to check on them, see how they're doing. Sometimes it was visiting them to drop off food. Uh, sometimes it was, uh, you know, stopping in to, to watch their child and babysit so they could have some time for themselves. But it was in small ways, they sought to help friends who were in crisis. And then as I got older, my parents encouraged me to do the same. When they would hear about a friend of mine who was having a tough time, they'd say, uh, well, what have you done? Have you, uh, uh, can you go and help them out? Like I had a friend uh, when I was in high school in 10th grade. I remember this, uh, there's a group of guys in our class who went out for lunch uh, and they were driving. Uh, somewhere and something happened when they were driving they got into a car accident and one of the kids died in that car accident and the kid sitting next to him was actually a very good friend of mine who i'd grown up with um and my parents i still remember they said to me they said have you have you checked on him to see how he's doing and i was like oh you know i don't think i really like i was like you know just saw him in classes and that they're like no go to his house check on him make sure he's okay and so I did. My sister and I went over. We spent ended up spending like half a day with him. We didn't talk about the accident at all. But I'll tell you, at the end of that day, when we were uh, leaving, he just turned to both of us and he said, hey, I really needed this. Uh, thank you so much. I've been hurting a lot, but it, it meant a lot to have you guys over. And so as parents, whenever you have a chance uh, to encourage your children uh, to help 
and support and be there for their friends who might be having a hard time. I would encourage that because um, sometimes you might think, hey, my kid's struggling, they need help. Turns out when we help other people, we ultimately help and support and sustain ourselves as well. And also I should mention, you just made me realize, you know, all of these bully kids that are being horrible, they have parents. So so make sure that, you're, that your kid's not that kid, right? I mean, be, because I imagine some of these children that are being just utterly awful on social media uh, need to hear from their parents that, that, That's this, not all that, right. this, that this could lead to someone's suicide. I mean, that, it, that, that words mm -hmm. have such impact on people. That's right. And a lot of those bullies, I'll be honest, have some deeper issue that they're dealing with themselves that someone's got to help them with, you know? And, um, you know, that old saying, hurt people, hurt people. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a lot of a lot of truth to that. So, uh, look, the, the bottom line is we're in this we're in this vicious cycle now where pain is begetting more pain. There are a lot of people who are hurt. Uh, they're, you know, potentially hurting themselves further or they're down on themselves or sometimes in some cases they may be bullying or hurting other people around them. And that that just continues to multiply. We need to turn that vicious cycle into a virtuous cycle, which is what we can do when we actually start helping one another, reaching out to one another in positive ways. Uh, like I'll tell you that friend of ours, like when I was growing up, who uh, was in that terrible accident, like I suspect that when we spent time with him and he felt you know, a bit better that day, maybe he was nicer to someone else in his life. Maybe he was kinder to his sisters uh, and his parents. Uh, I, we don't know the ripples uh, that, that are created when we reach out to somebody in a moment of kindness. Uh, and when we seek to serve people who are hurting. I really do like that, though. That's not that's that isn't a way that I have ever thought about combating against my own depressions or my own uh, loneliness hmm. and to help someone else out. Absolutely. That is. Oh, that's so. Because you're you're not only helping them out, you're helping yourself. That's yeah. such a yeah. great. Uh, it's a great instinct. Like when you're yeah. feeling down, when you're feeling, I've done this before um, at the direction, I probably of my therapist, but it worked. Like when you're down, think of someone in your life who who could use a pep talk or cheering up or checking in with. Yeah, and and then and then just do it. Facetime them, call them. Hey, I've been thinking about you, and and in giving them the love, you 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 get it back in yourself. That's that's so true. And you know, the the last few weeks I've been. Um, I've been traveling to different colleges, actually talking about uh, these the very subjects you and I are all talking about. But it's a, a part of what we call our "We Are Made to Connect" uh, college campus tour, and it's been a fascinating journey. But you know, college students are suffering with some of the highest rates of loneliness, and they're sort of at the epicenter of the youth mental health crisis. But one of the things that we we do with the college students, in addition to talking about loneliness, talking about strategies to rebuild connection, is we've actually posed this challenge to them called our Five for Five Challenge where we ask them to, to engage in five acts of connection over the next five days. And those could be either an expression of gratitude, uh, an extension of support to someone who needs help, or it could be asking for help themselves. And it's a really powerful uh, challenge. And we actually do the first day of the challenge with them, like in the room. And we ask them all to think about somebody. Uh, in fact, in what... If you guys want to do this, it takes 60 yeah, we, seconds. We can do this yeah, together. We want, to, we want to do it, and we okay. want the audience to play along. Yeah, yeah. So everyone listening right, right now, what I want you to do is just, just sort of close your eyes for a second, and I want you to think about somebody in your life that you're grateful for. It could be somebody who helped you out 
uh, a few days ago uh, when you were having a, a rough day. Be somebody who showed up in your life a few years ago when you had a major disappointment where things didn't go quite your way. And they helped to remind you uh, that things were going to be okay and that they had your back. However big or small the action, think about who that person is. Think about what they did for you. Think about how it felt. And I want you to actually, to just, if, if you're listening out here and you've got a phone, I want you to pull out your phone and I want you to oh, compose a text or an email to them right now. And the key is to do it in the moment so you don't, you don't put it off. And just to take 60 seconds to do this, but write them just a short note. It could be one line, it could be two lines, just telling them that you were thinking about them. You remember this beautiful thing they did for you and how grateful you are to them. So I'll just give you a few seconds to do that. I'm doing it right now as you speak. On yeah. live. This is the first time I've live texted on the podcast. Yeah, I'm doing it right now too. Awesome. Everyone pull over if you're driving. Please don't do this while you're driving. Yes. I'm sure the Surgeon General would not approve of that. <laughs> Good call, Zach. I appreciate that. So to take um, another... And this is something that is mm -hmm. so easy that people can do. You know, mm -hmm. it takes two seconds to say to someone who's going through something, hey, you're on my mind. Hey, sending you love. Um, hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood. Should I stop by? Um, we all have someone in our lives that could use some love. And, we do. Um, and, we do. And, and, and we shouldn't be stingy with our love. That is so true because our love is a renewable resource. Yeah, we it's have infinite, us, right? It's infinite. Uh, and the more we give, actually, the more I realize we have to give. But like, look, just even what we did now, right? By the way, like, Vivek, when you did yours, did you, who did you text? Was it Obama or Biden? Which one? Which, which one? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the, person, the person that I thought of actually. Hey, Barack, was, it's me, Vivek. I just wanted to say, <laughs> thinking of you. Thinking of you, sending you love. Remember when you gave me that job as a yeah. surgeon general? I still have the suit. <laughs> I still have me. I appreciate you. I still have the suit, and I got to be on fake doctors. I, I got still. to be on fake doctors, real friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on fake doctors. Your favorite, your favorite podcast right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. The person I actually so thought of was my was my mother because yeah, uh, I, I was just on a flight coming uh, back and. I just texted my my parents and my sister. I was like, hey, I'll, I'll be back in D.C. soon. I'm just getting on the flight. And my mom like called me right away. I was like sitting in my seat, you know, and she called me and I was like, hey, everything OK? She was like, yeah, I just saw that you were leaving. I just wanted to make sure that you were OK. See if you had eaten. Uh, are you going to be okay <laughs> to be able to sleep on the plane? And it was very endearing. This, these are the same conversations that my mom would have with me like years ago, you know, when I was uh, yeah. when I was traveling. But but the just the, being reminded that doesn't matter how old I get. You know, whatever I'm, my job is, whatever my mom's love is constant. It's always there for me. Like that just made me just feel so good and so grateful. And so she was the one I was thinking about. But I, I think, look, I, I think that this, it's in these kind of small actions that can send powerful ripples out. Uh, you know, when, when we do this exercise in, in college campuses, we actually have the students uh, turn the flashlight on their phone after they send their email or their text and then hold it up. Uh, toward the ceiling and we dim the lights and then we have them look around and what they see are hundreds of points of lights shining out uh, like into the into, into the air and those each of those are rays of hope right there's somebody's going to receive one of those messages and feel better about themselves they're going to be reminded that 
they're not alone, that somebody actually is thinking about them, that they remember them. Maybe they're having a really down day and they'll think, oh, you know, maybe I do have something of value to give to the world. This person just remembered something yeah. I did for yeah. them. You know, th those rays of light are, are incredibly powerful. And the reason I'll actually say that these are so important is because we've been talking about a lot of stuff today that require policy solutions, programmatic solutions. But I think this deeper despair that we're seeing in our country, I think is part of a deeper underlying moral crisis that we're in, where in some ways I feel like we have lost sight of what we need to do and who we need to be to enable all of us to thrive. Like people say to me all the time, hey Vivek, you know, it feels like it's become more important to be right uh, than to be kind, more important to be powerful uh, than to be compassionate, more important to look out for myself than to look out for other people. But I actually think deep down inside, like all of us, I think in our hearts, we want our kids to grow up in a world where people are actually nice to each other. We want people to, to be able to look out for one another. We want somebody to be able to lift us up when we fall down. And we want to be able to do that for other people. Um, but I think right now we have drifted away from some of those core values. And I think it's this is our time to re-anchor ourselves in those core values and to ask ourselves, what do we want to fundamentally guide and shape the world that we're going to live in, that our kids are growing up in? Um, and how do we proactively take those values and not just have them be things that sit in our heads or on paper, but say, how do I apply the values of kindness and generosity, of service and of friendship uh, to the interactions I have in my day-to-day -day life, to the decisions I make about what issues I speak up for, to the decisions I make about who I choose to be my leaders, you know, in organizations or in government. Like, how do I apply these values to my life and to our life? And how do we talk more openly about them? Because this is, I think, one of the great prices that we've paid uh, in the last few years is I think something that we all want, a certain set of core values we all hold dear, have just disintegrated and have faded into the background. And we, we it feels like we're fundamentally angry and and self-centered and and mean-spirited but i don't think that's our true identity i think in our hearts we are optimistic we are courageous we are kind and this is our opportunity to reclaim and rebuild that identity and on that note wow we will end the podcast yeah, that is a, that's a mic drop <laughs> thank you so much for joining us and for sharing uh what you do with our audience and uh it's an honor to to have had you and we really appreciate it thank you for all the good you're doing in the world well, thank you both. I so enjoyed this. And I will say, having spent a, a lot of time when I was in residency training, uh, watching both of you on screen uh, in Scrubs, uh, it's it's a joy certainly to, to meet you guys. But I'll, I'll say just in a real personal note, you brought a lot of joy and laughter to many of us who are going through medical training uh, in those years. Uh, I wouldn't underestimate how important that was. Like We needed to laugh. We needed to be able to see the light side of life after uh, yeah. going through incredibly painful, difficult days, dealing with life and death every day. So thank you for everything. Thank you. Was there one of us who you thought was funnier than the other when you were me, going obviously. through this <laughs> He related oh with me. We're both brown, bro. Oh, like, come so on. You're, you're <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Of course. All right, thank you. Thank you, Vivek, so much. Thanks so much, guys. Great to be thank with you. you. Appreciate right. you. Right on. Appreciate you. Let's take a break. We'll be right back after these fine words. Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. 
In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That was so awesome. That was awesome, man. Holy cow. Vivek came with it. He's such a wonderful speaker on on these topics, and he's in such a position to make a huge difference. Yeah, he's actually like going around speaking at a bunch of colleges right now about the loneliness epidemic. So 
Um, I know we have a lot of college kids who listen to us. If Vivek is coming to your school, go check him out. Like that shit is real, man. Like we are all we all experience it in some way. He's gonna give you tools. I hope we've given you tools in this podcast. Just you listening right now, we've given you tools to fight loneliness. And you know, I'm gonna use some of the tools that we're given, especially the reaching out to people when I feel when I feel you could reach out to me more because you don't ever. Well, you, I reached out to my wife first, and next will be you. Yeah, but I mean, you know, we're not in the same city. You could occasionally be like, I could write the text for you if you oh, want. Okay. I sent you a <laughs> meme. You could write the text yeah. for me. <laughs> if I if I if I send you some text, will you just copy and paste them I'll back to me? Paste them. I'll yeah. Copy and paste them. And hey man. Them. Hey man. Just, just checking in. About you. I know you're in New York City. Just want to say I love you, and you're on my mind. Okay, that's what's hit up. me up if you want to chat. Yeah. I'll write that. I'll just text you, and then you can just can copy. You text and paste. that to me, and then I'll copy yeah. and paste. Yeah, it. and then like once a week, just copy and paste. Because <laughs> <laughs> you never reach out. All you do is send me fucking memes. That's your yeah, love man. language. That is my love language because I know you'll appreciate. You appreciate. I know when I so know when Donald's up baked in his house because all of a sudden I'll get like a barrage like, <laughs> of like <laughs> so the stupidest. Funny as hell, though. No, of so, course it's funny. So but I'm just like I can tell by the level of how stonery the meme is. Like what's right. going on at your house over there, <laughs> motherfucker? I sent that one the Jimmy Fallon shit with them singing "We Are the Champion" and they put Usher in the corner and Usher thinks he's in the middle square. Like they, so they, you know how Jimmy Fallon does the Brady Bunch thing? Mm-hmm. No. And they all sing on his show. Okay, so Jimmy Fallon does a thing where it's like the Brady Bunch and they what? sing different songs, right? Okay. So they he had one and they're all singing We Are the Champion, the Queen song, We Are yeah. the Champ, right? And it's a bunch of freaking like A-list musicians singing. Somebody told Usher he was in the center square. <laughs> But he was really in the corner. So this motherfucker's looking around at everything <laughs> around him, down to the left, to the right, and up. And really, there's only somebody up and to the left of his ass. <laughs> I sent you that shit. I was so fucking baked when I sent you that shit because I laughed so hard. It took, it took me a second to realize, wait a second, what, is, what am I looking at here? What is it? And then I read the oh caption. And the caption said somebody told Usher he was in the center square. Listen, you don't ever check in. You don't ever check in. I'm going to send you the text I want to receive once in a while from you. I send you freaking gold. That was a great uh, episode. And audience, if you're feeling that was a, a little bit of a melancholic one, have I got news for you next week? Living legend. It's the guest we've wanted for a long ass time. Alicia Silverstone. You know, I just recently watched Clueless. Really? With your kids? I walked into the living room and my wife and daughter were watching Clueless. Oh, that's so cute. That's funny. It was not funny. I started crying. No. Why? It's it still one, it still holds up. It by does. far. It still holds movie. up. Like it, it's 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 a classic. You're crying from nostalgia? No, Britney came on, on oh, screen. Oh yeah. And that shit wrecked me. And I couldn't I at first I didn't know why. And then it was like, oh my God. Her glow and her her uh, spirit, oh my gosh! And we wound up doing a couple of movies together. But I started crying. I couldn't, and I and I didn't understand why. And that was why one because I was in a classic. Two because she was, she, I got to experience it with her, and I thought she was really special. 
Did Wilder like the movie? I don't think she gets it. You know what I'm saying? It's above I, her head still. Yeah. Uh, you know, when the movie came out, it was above Casey. You know, Casey was still young. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, a lot of the jokes from the movie went over her head. So she watches it now, and she's like, I didn't get that back then. Well, I'm so happy we're having Alicia on because she's just really funny and uh, Bet has a lot of fun, interesting stories to tell. And it's something we wanted to coordinate for a while, and we finally did it. So I'm stoked about it. What's crazy is that I'm not the one that got her on the show. You the one. Yeah, <laughs> of course. You know what happened was she reached out to me because when we talked about her that time, someone must have told her. And she left me a voice note saying, I heard you guys were talking about me on your podcast. And I just you, I just went right into it. I was like, yeah, we were. Will you please come on? Obviously, Donald has a connection to you because of the movie. And I have a connection to you because my crush, but also you were in my movie. And uh, so she said yes. Yeah, I could see why you had a crush on her. Holy cow. I think a lot of Everybody straight men and gay I watched women. That. <laughs> I watched, I, I think she was my background. Persons in general. I just think persons in general. I watched that movie and I was like, holy, what? She was so, that was, well, I also, I just love, I love funny, silly women and that character was so funny and silly. And uh, she's going to be on the podcast and we're going to talk about that. There we go. We're We're going to talk about Aerosmith. We're going to talk about freaking. Yeah, I'm going to have to rewatch the videos. I'm going to have to watch some videos too. Let's go down. You know what we should do? We should do a rewatch. Hopefully the strike will be over by then. But we should rewatch some of her greatest hits. We're allowed to talk about Aerosmith videos. Okay, we'll talk about that. I want to talk about yeah. excess I don't baggage. Think, I don't think I don't think Fran Drescher controls uh, the Aerosmith videos. I don't know. Motherfuckers was not dressing up for Halloween, bro. Motherfuckers was not dressing up for Halloween. I don't think, any, I don't think anyone listened to that stupid rule. A lot of Although I'm just surprised. I, there I don't was know, no... bro. I don't know, my guy. A lot of people. Uh, are Joelle, you my guy? You are you him? my guy? Are you my guy? Saying I'll say it? it's it's mixed. It's mixed. Uh, I think most notably, uh, Megan Fox dressed as a character from a movie, and then she added SAG, and I was like, "Yeah, she bold. tagged SAG. Like, why are you? That was weird. That was a weird choice." <laughs> she she said, "Come she's for poke, me." I guess she's poking the yeah, bear. Yeah. She's come at me. She's like, do but, something about it. Are you mad because uh, I said my guy? I just wondered because I haven't seen you in a while. Are you a are you the kind of guy who says my guy now? No, I just use it to be funny. Okay, because I just need to adjust if you're going to be a my guy. <laughs> no, sayer. I'm not going to be a my guy. Sayer. That shit right, cracks please me. Please don't. Every time I hear that shit, that shit makes me laugh. Like certain laugh, people like, can get away with way, it. Like oh my gosh, certain my people guy? can kind of get away with it, but I don't really like it. I don't think you should be a my guy. Sayer. Who can get away with saying my guy other than me like, just now? I think there's a certain type of funny person that can get away with being like, "Come on, my guy." But no, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Daniel, you're not on my guy, guy Sarah. Sounds are you? weird. Well, not much. I mean, maybe Daniel might I, be on my guy, Sarah. I think. On I his bet Twitch. you, Daniel uh, is on my guy. Honestly, Sarah. I do it when I'm doing like a New York impression. If I'm talking mm-hmm. to my friend or something, I'll be like, "My guy, what are you doing?" Oh, that's not how I hear my guy these days. Oh, hey, my guy. My guy. The very Irish guy. My guy. Magai. Magai. What are you doing here, dog? What are you doing here, Magai? <laughs> what are you doing, Magai? Magai. What, what does everybody use that? That Whenever anybody says we're going to go Irish with it, 
Everybody goes, what are you doing here, Doc? <laughs> Everybody that's and their mama That's goes in the to name that. of the father, right? That's the, the only, the father, that's, yeah. that's the one that comes to me. What are you doing here, Doc? All right, we're going to we'll take a break. Right when we back. come back, we're going to talk. Um, we're going to do a T-Mobile segment. We'll be right back. Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This segment of Fake Doctors Real Friends is brought to you by T-Mobile 5G Home Internet, protecting you from exploding bills with a price lock guarantee. Visit T-Mobile.com slash Zach to check availability. All right. Go ahead, Joelle. So we have a letter here from Charlie Young. Charlie writes us, hi, my name is Charlie and I'm 18 from the land down under, hoping I could be the youngest guest on the show, which I think you might be in the running. Uh, just wanted to thank Zach, Donald, Daniel, and Joelle for keeping my spirits high. I'm going through a really tough breakup and a depression period and just started a new job. And without your podcast, I would be in a world of constant confusion, pain, and grief. I used to watch Scrubs with my ex. However, this podcast brings a whole new set of memories I can create associated to the incredible show. This has led me to be able to eat again, sleep again, and have something mm. to look forward to each day from Donald screaming to Zach's jokes and perspectives on love and personal to growth. Donald screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even the funny guy on the podcast. I'm just the loud guy, it sounds like. No, you're funny. You just Donald, also are known for- do scream. Well, I think every listener at some point has had to adjust their volume because of you. Go ahead, Joelle. <laughs> okay. Charlie also appreciates Daniel's calming voice and my infectious laugh. So thank you. For everything oh. you guys do and for allowing me to get back on track. His question comes from season four, episode one. You guys might remember this as the faith dancing episode. This is where JD is outside the hospital trying to get pumped up for his day. And he listens to Faith by George Michael and does the famous that. jean well, dance. Have, right. Oh, I yeah. didn't had jeans nice. on. If I could, could not you, sir. Nobody. Not you, sir. On rules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he says, the question is, uh, if Scrub is based in current days, what would... JD and or Turk listened to before they went into the hospital. And then he has some suggestions, but I'm going to leave those, Charlie, so we can hear. I think Donald from the guys. and I would both answer the same name. Ready, Donald? On three. One, two, three. P -I -P. Olivia Rodrigo. A lot just happened. Who? What? <laughs> Wait, what? I heard Olivia he said Rodrigo. he and Olivia P -I -M -P. Rodrigo. Yeah, he said JD P -I -M -P. and Turk were walking into the house would be. Into the hospital, be do 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 do. I don't know what you heard about me. If the show was set in 2023, that's the song they would sing. No, that's not what I would choose. I would choose 2023. Look, Donald shit is timeless. Still a classic. Donald admitted to me that he's now on the Olivia Rodrigo. Yes, welcome. Listen, I like Olivia. She's good. But I'm going to be all, honest All with American you. bitch. We'd be walking into all oh, American bitch. A good Not choice. Me. Solid. I'd be Donald. walking into first person shooter mode. Big as the that? Super Bowl. Who's that? Big as the what? Who's that? Lil Uzi? No, J. Cole and Drake, baby. Mm. Okay. So much. I'm really like feeling J. Cole right now. Listen, I think right now, if you're asking me. Go ahead. Oh, the boy. three best rappers. Go ahead. In no yes. particular order. Oh, this won't be controversial at all. <laughs> at all. I think everybody's going to agree. J. Cole 
If you can't say J. Cole, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you J. Cole. To. I agree. <laughs> Kendrick Lamar. Obviously. I think it's pretty great. And you gotta go Drake. I think in the era of women rappers, that is a wild thing to say that the current best three well, is no In the women. era of women rappers, there's really Doja. That's I'm not gonna call him for Megan this. Great Meg play. is dope. Megan is dope, but she don't be spitting like Doja spit. Megan Are you be listening spitting. to Megan's albums? Are you listening to the whole? I listen to. Oh, I, I love Megan. I love Meg The Stallion. I love right Meg The Stallion. I love. Listen to me. I I love <laughs> Meg The Stallion, and I don't. And I'm not even talking about the way she looks. I'm talking about how she rap. She got old school. She got a very old school flow, and she's very very witty with her shit. Mm-hmm. But right now, if you really want to ask me who the best rapper is, female. It got to be Doja, B. Joelle, what's your answer? The best female rapper currently? I, uh, there's so many. I mean, I really like Megan. Like, she's really pulling it down. I think Doja is extremely talented. I like Rico Nasty. I, I would go. get two. Yeah, Rico, I think Rico yeah. Nasty needed Rico Nasty is I was going to say you know Rico Nasty. <laughs> Where is right on the tip of your tongue, Zach, and I saw Rico it. Nasty was on my tip of my tongue. Mm. <laughs> Hundred percent, and oh, and for male Lil Uzi, I don't even know who that is. I've just heard the name. Do you <laughs> like Lil Uzi? Uzi? <laughs> Isn't that a rapper? Yeah, no. Yeah, Lil, Lil Uzi Vert. Uzi Vert. Yeah. Lil Uzi Vert. But Daniel, yeah. who's your favorite male and female rappers currently? Oh, You're a DJ. Goodness, I mean, Rico Nasty is really high up there. I love her a lot. Um, I think Kendrick is really up there. I'm a big West Side Gun fan personally. Yeah. I think his Isn't new Lil album is Uzi like, Vert like Little Evil. Isn't he trying to say little evil? Is that who's the one with the cross on his head and all that shit? That's, that little Uzi Vert? No, that's Twenty One Savage. No, not Twenty One. Oh, uh, the guy Uzi Vert has like the diamond. He has the diamond. Yeah, he has the diamond. Isn't he trying yeah. to say little evil? Some shit like that. That sounds little like a TikTok sure. conspiracy. I don't know. Okay. What about I've, the guy six by nine who was in jail? He can, six by nine. Takashi 6ix9ine. I like Takashi 6ix9ine. Like it's a measurement. That was wonderful. I think he could be left out of the conversation. (laughs) This motherfucker's going to run up on you, Zach. No, I didn't say anything negative. I'm asking you guys' opinion. I don't want to. You could say all the negative things about him, frankly. I don't want to. He's going to run up on you, Daniel. 6 by 9 his name's Daniel. He's not going to run up on me. That's fine. He has so many bodyguards around him to protect him from everybody else who wants to run up on him. Yeah, he's So I'm not worried about it. Hip-hop is in a state of no, like... One of the best lines is in first person shooter mode. And he says, What happened to all the bars? It seems like everybody's on a jail. Is somebody's everybody's in a jail escape, some shit like that. But it's real talk, man, because nobody be spitting at all no more. They just be talking. I am um, I wanted to go back to our, our letter writer. Yes. I wanted a letter writer mentioned that he was going through a breakup and uh and I want him to know that this too shall pass, that he will no feeling is forever. And uh, as much as he's feeling like shit right now, he will come out the other side and rise like a phoenix mm. as a better man. Hey. But anyway, things always get better. I promise you. And I, I saw this meme on Instagram and, and I sent it to my nephew because he's you know out there in the dating world. And I, I do think it's the best. And I sent it to Amanda too. And she said she already posted it on her stories. Aww. But this is, um, it says, the best piece of dating advice I've ever received is this. If they like you, you'll know. Mm. If they don't, you'll be confused. Honestly, it's all you need to know. 
Hey, I love I agree that. With that 100%. That's, that's real talk. Simplicity. Yo. <laughs> I think if that I'm that's... confused, if I'm confused, I know you don't like me. Right. Listen, everyone's struggling with how to figure shit out. Why didn't he text back? Why did he do the dots? Why did he ghost me? Why? If they like you, you'll know. If you're confused, they don't. Mic drop. Truly. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Charlie. I don't have my Appreciate sound effects machine, so I'm gonna add one. Just I'm gonna do one. Just you know, improvise. Mm-hmm. Maybe you could forever. give us one. Maybe you could give us forever. T-Mobile. Maybe you could T-Mobile forever. Mm-hmm. 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 This 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 end of this podcast feels like when you're on with a crush and like you don't want to hang up. You hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you first. I don't want to stop talking to you. Do you want to watch <laughs> a show you, together? What do you watching? Why don't we both to? start? Why don't we both start a show at the same time? Oh my god! And then yeah. one, two, right. three, go, go, hit play. When <laughs> Harry met up. Sally. Mm-hmm. Thanks, T-Mobile. If you're over exploding internet bills, visit T-Mobile.com slash Zach and find out how new and existing customers get T-Mobile's price lock guarantee for home internet. I was going to say he's going to rise girthier. Okay. You hear the sirens? I'm in New York City. When you say girthier, <laughs> what are you referring to? His shaft and balls. <laughs> well, see, no. She's Louise. <laughs> <laughs> And um, that's our show, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. You guys, this was a, such a good show. I miss you so much. What has it been, two weeks since we've seen each other? Yeah. It's been a minute. Alicia, Alicia Silverstone next week. And um, mm-hmm. and Donald, I'll send you the text that I want you to occasionally just copy and paste to me. I will <laughs> copy it and paste it to you right away after you send it to me. I just want you yeah. to know that. And it, uh, audience, I know you thank need you. It right now. I do. I miss you. Yeah. And I could use a little text from you. Okay. How's New York? It's beautiful. Mm. It's so, it's that, I wanted to have that fall vibes moment and it is so that beautiful. There's this, um, every, for those of you know, uh, lower Manhattan, every gift season, November, December, they have this, uh, gift market in Union Square Park and you kind of, just kind of a moment in the season, you know, when you walk by and you see them starting to, to put it up that, oh, here comes Christmas. It's like hearing the Mariah Carey song. So today I walked by and they started building the, the giant gift market and I was like, here we go. Does Macy still the, do the windows? Yeah. Yeah, but that's up in Herald Square. I'm talking about. Are you going to head up to Herald Square? I don't usually go check out the Macy's windows. That's not usually a thing I do. But I'll do it if you want me to. More of a Bergdorf Goodman kind of guy. Listen, there's so many Macy's in California. I remember when there was just one Macy's and it was on 34th Street. And I used to I don't travel. think you were alive when there was only one Macy's. <laughs> my guy. My guy. my guy. Oh, God. Oh, my God. My He's a my guy. guy guy. You are a my guy guy. I'm a my guy when you try to <laughs> Do you say my me, dude my as well? Do you say no, my I dude? No, I say my dude, my dude. Daniel, you my don't guy. say my dude, do you? Yeah, I say my dude. Of course. Oh, My no. guy. Listen, it's no. Spreading. Listen, listen to me. What is the issue listen with my dude? I just think my dude and my guy are so lame in 2023-ish. My guy. Listen <laughs> to me. When I was a kid, Macy's <laughs> like a in, on 34th Street was the only Macy's in New York City. There's and no so that way that's the, true. Yeah, it is. Okay, Where's another maybe, one? Maybe on the island of Manhattan, but in the other five boroughs, I'm sure there's probably another Macy's. There was no Macy's in Brooklyn. There was no Macy's in Queens. Oh my gosh. There was no Macy's. In, you had to go to 34th Street. That was it. I, okay, I don't know that there's other Macy's now. In there Manhattan. is. They're everywhere. And, and you go to the mall, it's everywhere. Oh, you're like a little store, yeah. But not like a full Macy's. 
Not like the Macy's in New York. I watched Star Wars in the Macy's in New York at Christmas. Why? Why? Because it was on the television back in the day, 1985 or some shit like that. They fucking had the VHS and they put Star Wars at the kids department while all the parents went and shopped. Oh, so so you sat and watched it? With all the other kids. I picture you like the kid in a Christmas story, except instead of going down that slide with with Santa, you were just there watching Star Star Wars. Wars. I bought my dad to Macy's so we could watch Star Wars together. I was really? Like, Let's go. Yeah, because he had seen The Empire Strikes Back but and Return of the Jedi, he, but he hadn't seen it Why didn't he just buy anymore. you the tape? <laughs> huh? Because it wasn't out yet. It didn't exist. Oh. Got it. Also, we were broke. I ain't had no VHS back in the day. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> All right, guys. Five, six, seven, eight. Some stories about a show we made about a bunch of docs and nurses in a Did you know that 46% of us don't take all our vacation days? Even though it's been proven that taking time off to play makes us more productive. In California, no matter where you go, you'll find play. Explore a redwood forest, immerse yourself in art galleries, or just park yourself in a beach chair and chill. Play is everywhere in California, so take some well-deserved playtime off and discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, it's simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. You can learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.